Hey there, and welcome to the Jeff MacArthur Podcast for Tuesday, September the 15th. Coming up, what you need to know to ride the TTC safely during the pandemic. How hospitals might be handling a second wave, and how a possible second wave might be more complicated than the first. All of that coming up right now on the Jeff MacArthur Podcast. Okay, first day of back to school for the Toronto District School Board, of course, the country's largest school board. It's a staggered start, so it's elementary only today. But later this week, high school students, they'll be returning to the class. And, of course, with university students returning as well. There is concern about COVID and crowding on public transit, most notably the TTC. And joining us now is Stuart Green, communications specialist with the TTC. Stuart joins us here on Global News Radio. Stuart, good afternoon. Appreciate your time. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Okay. uh, What has the TTC been seeing lately when it comes to its ridership numbers? Well, interestingly, you know, as as each uh, stage of reopening has has occurred in the province and in the city, we've seen ridership tick up. So, you know, if you look back in in April, May, when we were at sort of the lowest point of the the initial stages of the shutdown, our ridership was, you know, 15, 20 percent of normal levels. That number is now up to 35 to 40 percent of normal levels. So, uh, you know, uh, more than doubling of where ridership was at its lowest. So, um, you know, in, in response to that, we've done a number of things, of course, we started doing, uh, we started enhancing our safety measures. We started doing multiple vehicle cleanings every day uh, back in January. Uh, we've got, you know, our stations, all the touch points and grab points, uh, poles are wiped down. We've got hand sanitizer. We're giving away a million masks. We're putting 110 extra buses into service this week to address the uh, the back to school issue. So it's something we've been, you know, it's, I mean, safety is always top of mind for us, but certainly with pandemic safety, you know, that, that has looked a little bit different for us, but it's, it's certainly something we've been responding. To. Yeah, if you're around forty percent right now, what are your projections uh, fall in uh, into the coming uh, winter uh, season here? Do you expect to be uh, upwards of maybe seventy or eighty percent? Well, you know that that's you know that's the million dollar question for us. I mean, I, I don't think it'll be that high. Um, I, I don't think you know we we probably based on our customer surveys, we probably wouldn't expect to see ridership back up to the seventy or eighty percent level until there was something like a vaccine available. So, uh, you know, but but you know we have to plan and, and we have been planning for the fifty percent threshold. Um, that's where you know we put all of our service back out because right now we still have a couple hundred operators who are, who are on layoff, and that was an attempt to save some money. Um, but uh, but but buses are where our biggest challenge is. So really, our, our, our eye was to this week. This was the first point in time uh, that we were looking at putting, uh, needing to put extra service out as the schools reopened, because not only does that mean more students, and particularly high school students at RITTC, but it means that more more adults can go back to work if they're parents. So, uh, you know, this this week and next week are really going to be sort of the uh, the indicators for us. Um, but but you're right. I mean, as, as you know, if we're at 40%, almost 40% right now, we're only 10% away from 50%. So so that could happen very soon. Uh, but our, our best estimates are, are sort of into October. That's when we'd see that happen. Yeah, obviously, a lot of this depends on whether or not we do indeed see a second wave and perhaps uh, go back to stage two or into more of a lockdown, right? Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, all of our safety measures, uh, we now have lived experience, right? So we've got, you know, everybody, not just the TTC, but, you know, shopping centers and uh, and, and every workplace in, in the in the world has lived experience now for, you know, six months of, of living through a pandemic. So all of our safety measures are, are designed in a way that, you know, they would continue and, until such time as they're not needed. Uh, and, and that's really, again, with safety being top of mind. If we have, if we have, you know, what's being called a second wave, 
is, uh, you know, it could mean a drop in ridership, but it might not. Um, you know, it, it will really depend on, on how things are approached in terms of, you know, businesses shutting down again. Maybe they don't. Maybe we sort of hit the peak of businesses being shut down, but we won't know that until we're sort of in it. Can you give us, Stuart, a little more detail into what is going on inside streetcars and subway cars when you talk about sanitation, I mean, the the cleaning of contact points and such? Is that happening just, you know, when a streetcar heads out of the station for duty and then when it comes back, or is this uh, something that's going on regularly during its uh, time in service? Yeah, so so all of our vehicles are getting extra attention throughout the day. So when they hit end of line, so when, you know, my home station is Broadview Station, when a streetcar comes into Broadview Station, you see the guys in the white suits get on there with the spray, and they're spraying it down. That That's happening at the end of, of line on streetcars. Uh, throughout the day on buses, we're doing multiple wipe downs of the, particularly the touch points. So really what we're concentrating on is those p- places where people are grabbing uh, or, or touching. So in stations, that would be uh, elevator buttons, for example, or handrails on vehicles, uh, the grab rails and the straps. So all of that is being done multiple times throughout the day, and we've in fact been doing that since January. Um, again, with with the, you know hand hygiene being such a, an important message that from uh, public health, you know it's important for us to do our part. Uh, you know people get on our system, they they've cleansed their hands, and then they can get on and they can touch you know our, our our grab poles and straps, knowing that we've we've wiped them down. Now, of course, that only lasts as, as long as people aren't touching it, right? So, but but it does give us you know that extra level of comfort and security uh, that, that, you know, if you're on the TTC, there are all these extra safety measures that we are taking. Is there any limitation as to how many people can get on a streetcar uh, right now? Can it only be uh, half full or is that something that's not of a major concern right now because ridership's only, uh, you know, 35-40% right now of what it was? Yeah, it's really interesting. If you look at the TTC by mode, the ridership levels are, are quite different. On a, on a subway train and a streetcar, we're, we're still in the 30 percentile, uh, 30 to 35 percent uh, on, on streetcars and you know 38 percent on subway, something like that. So th- th- there's still a lot of room to space out on those vehicles. Where we have our biggest challenge is on the bus network. The bus network moves smaller vehicles through much more densely populated parts of the city. That's where our challenge is, and that's why we've put this just this week, we put 110 extra buses into service uh, in those areas, uh, in addition to the extra service that we've already put out. So the bus network right now, areas like you know Keel Street, Jane Street, Markham Road, Lawrence, uh, all of those really heavily traveled bus routes have got more service, scheduled service now than they had pre-pandemic, plus they're getting extra what's called run-as-directed service, so that as those, as those lines get busier, we put extra buses out. That's really where our challenge is, but that's why it's getting extra attention. All right, just finally, Stuart, what is it you want the public to know, those that rely on and use the TTC? Uh, what do you want people to know when it comes to riding safely? Yeah, well, a few things. I mean, first of all, you know, we want to thank everybody who, who is still riding the TTC. We know that, uh, you know, they rely on us more than ever. Our, our employees have been top-notch. We've had fantastic response from our employees. So all of that's really important. Public transit is safe. Uh, we are in, in, we regularly monitor what's happening around the world uh, in, in other large cities and, and other jurisdictions you know, close to our size, and uh, there's no evidence that, that links uh, any kind of public uh, public outbreaks with public transit. Uh, that's the good news. Uh, we think that has to do with the way people ride. Now, most people will sit there quietly. Now they have their faces covered. There's very little risk of transmission. So public transit remains safe. But again, we remind people, you know, hand, good hand hygiene. Stay home if you're sick. Don't ride public transit if you're sick. These are the two most important things that people can do. All right, Stuart, good stuff, and really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. All right, be well. There goes Stuart Green with the TTC.
Okay, big day for Apple fans. Apple is having their annual September event, obviously a little different from years previous, like so many things, thanks to the pandemic. Tim Cook, uh, basically speaking, to an empty auditorium. Although there's a lot of people uh, streaming it on their device, MacBook, iPhone. Uh, Here's a question. Can I watch the Apple September event on Android? I wonder if they allow you to do that or not. Uh... No, I don't think so. Do they have that technology they can block you if you're not a customer? <laughs> you can't watch it on BlackBerry either. No? No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and here's the other big piece of news that we think is coming out of this uh, Apple event uh, today is the fact that uh, not only is there no crowd, but there's also no new iPhone. <gasps> like for the first time in forever, they're saying, mm. No new iPhone, which, uh, Rob, Mary, I don't know about you guys, uh, does make some sense to me because, you know, you think back, I don't know, five, eight years ago, you just, you could hardly wait. You're waiting with bated breath, as they say, for the new iPhone. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it could take better photos. The camera was better or you could open it with your face. There there was all this kind of crazy new technology. I can't think, honestly, of a single thing they could do to this product and obviously the developers can either, to make it better. I think you're right. Mary, what do you think? Is there anything we can do to our cell phones? A bubble. It, it, it shoots out a bubble over you so that oh. you're protected from COVID. But there we go. That That's a good sell. one. They couldn't <laughs> like get that done in time. Like a cone of silence. <laughs> in the bubble. I'm oh, the maybe bubble. they could do that. Uh, rather than it be a new phone, that might be an app where all of a sudden you press a button and you can see, like, I don't know, some, like, laser pointer comes out or something like that. That uh, This is six feet, right, two right. meters. These are all great ideas. Yeah. 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 I wonder if Apple's listening to us. Maybe. Instead of us watching them. Well, I think your Apple is listening to you. You're holding it in your hand. That's Always. true. You know, that's another piece of technology, by the way, that they figured out. Don't you notice that, that our phones are actually listening to us? I can't yep. tell you how many times... I have talked about something on this show, and my phone is sitting right here, or I've just been casually talking with friends. You notice this, Mary, and then all of a sudden you get ads for it? All the time. Yeah, all well, so, the time. But someone could be listening to your radio show uh, who works at Google, and it's like, okay, let's... No. Uh, <laughs> it's your phone. It's your phone. I don't know. I hate to say this, but I'm kind of getting used to that. It was unnerving at first. Now, all of a sudden, it's like... a. I don't know. Yeah, I was talking about Peloton bikes with uh, somebody. Of course, I'm seeing ads for it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did it freak yesterday. you out at first? Oh, Sorry. yeah, big yeah. time did it ever. But uh, I don't know why, but now it's all of a sudden become commonplace. I almost expect it now. Yeah, I had a conversation with Fred in the hall yesterday, and then I was like, oh, yeah, just that popped up in my feed. And, oh, well, because we were talking about it. Oh, right. like Q107 just starts playing on your phone because yeah. you're talking the to Fred. Fred? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> 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 That'd be some good technology. Nice. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we want to dive back into the premiere, his press conference from uh, earlier today, in which he stated once again that a second wave is not only coming, but it will actually be more complicated than the first. Dr. Raywat Dionandan is an epidemiologist at the University of Ottawa and joins us once again here on Global News Radio. Doctor, nice to have you back on. Thanks for having me. First off, could you decipher that comment for us, perhaps from the premier, that the second wave will likely be more complicated? Do you know what he meant by that? I, I like to think that he's talking about um, how our response will be more complicated. For example, we're in colds and flu season, and that's going to create some chaos in hospitals and take up some hospital capacity. And we have the backlog of surgeries that were postponed back in spring that we're dealing with now. So it's more complicated from a medical service provision standpoint. 
All right, let me ask you about that, because that's the question I did have for you. Speaking of hospitals, there's been lots of surgeries, as you just mentioned, that have been postponed and or now rescheduled. Do you think that hospitals, if we do indeed see a second wave, should they go back into kind of a quote-unquote COVID lockdown? Well, should is a difficult word. It depends on what's going on, how bad the situation is. I don't think we'll get to a full-on economic lockdown for a number of reasons. Number one is the population won't tolerate it. Number two is we know a lot more about the disease. And number three, we've deployed appropriate strategies public health-wise in terms of mask wearing and distancing. So we probably won't get to that stage. We also have the option of strategic targeted lockdowns, like closing certain businesses in certain parts of the province at a certain time. In the hospitals, they may have to do some triage. That's true. Uh, if they're unable to meet the capacity needs, there may have to be some uh, tough choices made. Yeah, we kind of discussed that uh, during the first wave, whether or not we approach this right when it comes to uh, hospitals. Would you be in favor, doctor, of maybe certain hospitals that were under COVID uh, lockdown and others that could continue with surgeries? Yeah, that's one way of doing it, absolutely. One proposal was the low-incidence parts of the province could take the overflow of non-COVID-related medical procedures. We could build COVID-only wards or COVID-only hospitals. That way you can have just one set of PPE for all the workers. There are strategic and creative ways of approaching this. We still might have to explore those options. Yeah, and when you talk about being strategic and creative, does that apply to uh, other businesses, as you just mentioned, that maybe not all businesses have to go under lockdown or shut down, but maybe those that are deemed or considered uh, high risk? Yeah, I think that's the way it's going to be. I think it's likely that bars will be closed. It's likely that nightclubs will be closed, maybe casinos and museums even. Uh, Restaurants, uh, it's possible we'll see a further scaling down. Absolutely. Anything that it takes to keep the essential services open, like schools and other kinds of jobs to keep people employed. So uh, I think all options are on the table at this point because we're heading into some dangerous times. Yeah, one last question about hospitals, and then we'll move on. But the Premier made mention about the number of ventilators now available and vital PPE. Is that your biggest concern when it comes to a a second wave, is whether or not hospitals are properly equipped and are they ready? That's not my biggest concern, no, but it's a concern, absolutely. Hospitals have to have the right tools for their staff for self-protection because we don't want, you know, healthcare workers being vectors unto themselves and we don't want them being put in harm's way. But the same thing applies for schools, right? We have to have the right procedures in place, the right tools in place. And in terms of hospitals, I mean, ventilator capacity is one thing, but keeping people off of the ventilators to begin with is probably more important. For sure. Here with Dr. Raywat Dionanden from the University of Ottawa. Uh, today's count in the province, doctor, 251. Now, that is down a little bit from yesterday's 331, but there certainly has been some uh, growing concern over the caseload, not only in the province, but in the country as a whole. I think we were over 500 cases for 10 days uh, in a row. And a lot of people are wondering whether or not we're uh, seeing the second wave. Do you think we might be in it right now? possible. Now, a lot of scientists don't like talking about waves. We'd rather talk about surges and resurgences, and that's because a wave implies that there's something innate about the virus that follows seasons, and there isn't. This is all about human behavior. So to the extent that human behavior has changed, and it has, that's what's driving these resurgences. I think we're in for a, a difficult time in the next few weeks and months as the cases are going to continue to mount because of the cold weather, because of schools opening, and because of some other factors. 
so yeah, I think we're uh, we're into the dangerous time. I don't know what more how better to say it like that. And, and some people are going to say the death counts have not risen, and that's true. But case that's a lagging indicator. Uh, give it a few weeks, and we'll see. You know, the new cases bleed over into the older demographic, which leads to hospitalizations, which leads to deaths, and that's what we don't want. But it's what we're likely going to have. All right, we're just kind of getting into back to school over the last uh, week, week and a half, and the cold and flu season just coming upon us here with uh, some of the uh, colder temperatures uh, still ahead of us. So having said that, are the numbers uh, we're seeing in the last week or so, are they growing more quickly than expected? Well, more than expected. Uh, for example, uh, one thing, the, the numbers we're seeing now do not represent schools at all. It represents uh, behaviors that took place a few weeks ago. We haven't seen the school numbers yet in the data. So this is kind of what some of us expected. We expected that when the fall came, the numbers would start to climb up again. What I'm hoping is that our public health tools allow us to push it down and we arrive this sort of this dance of increase and decrease with a low peak so that we don't have to close down society at all. So is it expected? Yes. What's not expected is possibly the height of the peak that might come out of this. You know, you mentioned human behavior a second ago, and of course there's been lots of talk over the uh, last few weeks in particular about COVID fatigue. And do you think that maybe these uh, numbers rising like they have over the last uh, few days, uh, last week, has it been a bit of a wake-up, do you think, for people? No, it hasn't been a wake-up at all. In fact, I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing people claiming that this is not a big a deal because the numbers are rising, but the deaths aren't, so we shouldn't worry. But we see in Europe, that's exactly what's happened. In France, they saw a rise in cases amongst the 20-somethings, and three to five weeks later, that led to a rise in cases amongst the older population, and now we're seeing hospitalization rise, which is also leading to a, a rise in death count. People do not see that yet, and by the time they see it, it'll be a little too late. We want to avoid the hospitalization rise. When we're in it, we kind of lost the game already. Yeah, not only that, but the mortality rate really is only one measure. I mean, there's so many things we still don't know about uh, COVID-19, including the long-lasting effects and uh, some of these uh, symptoms that uh, some patients have uh, reported, uh, you know, persist months on end. That's right. We really don't know what the long-term consequences of this disease is because we've only been living with it for less than a year. So who knows if they last more than a year? It might. And I think a lot of people focus too much on the mortality, but there's a morbidity aspect to this. Um, yes, a proportion of people will die. That's not good. But a larger proportion of people are going to suffer needlessly. So how do we measure human suffering? That's a little more difficult and a little more difficult to explain to people as well. Lots of questions during the Premier's uh, presser today about testing, and I wanted to ask you about that because there's been reports of uh, long lineups, people being turned away because the daily uh, test numbers were hit. Are we doing enough? I mean, we keep hearing from the Premier the words, we're ramping up testing, which I don't think people, you know, can. that's not a number, right? I mean, we're just ramping things up, and I don't think people really know what that means. Yeah, so it's difficult to know if we're doing enough testing. One way to measure that is the percent of, of tests that come back positive. If that number is over 5%, we're definitely not doing enough testing. So we want to keep that number you know, below a certain percentage. And also, we want enough capacity such that we can do not just symptomatic testing, but to have some testing capacity left over to do asymptomatic, proactive testing. If we haven't got that capacity, then we're stuck with just deploying all our testing at the doors of hospitals 
hospitals to handle that that surge of people who have flu-like symptoms, and that um, that's useful clinically, but not that useful epidemiologically. So, uh, with the cold and flu season upon us, this becomes a a larger concern. A lot of people are going to have these symptoms that they think are COVID but that are in fact cold and flu, and they're going to seek testing for that purpose. So I think we're going to have to increase our testing capacity significantly to handle that demand. All right. Along those lines, the premier basically said he didn't want to get out in front of himself here, but it sounds as if the province is going to move ahead with COVID testing in pharmacies. As an epidemiologist, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to have as many testing centers as possible to free up the um, the crowds in the dedicated testing centers. Uh, here, I live in Ottawa. Here, there's uh, one center that's always crowded, and there are like lineups going around the block, and people are waiting hours sometimes. And that's not good for anybody. So the pharmacy testing worked for you know, for the flu vaccine. It requires a different set of tools, though. You have to be able to distance. You have to be able to give the test uh, expertly, and you have to be able to protect those waiting for the test. So it's going to have some challenges, but I think it is one way forward for sure. I'd rather see a rapid test. I'd rather see at-home tests. I'd rather see a new flotilla of new technologies in addition to these new testing sites. Just finally, uh, Dr. Uh, Bill Gates is out today, and uh, he's been one of the leading voices when it comes to a COVID vaccines, particularly uh, south of the border. He is saying today that a vaccine he believes will get regulatory approval by early 2021. Do you feel similar? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I think um, given the positive rumors about the phase three trials for a couple of candidates, it's likely we'll get some good results back by the end of the year and therefore approval for mass distribution and manufacturing by the start of next year. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to get it in time. There's still the, the backlog of manufacturing and distribution. It may take a few years to get it to everybody in the world, but we can probably get it to healthcare workers, at least in this country, by the middle of next year. Do you think if that's the case, if it gets regulatory approval early 2021, we can get back to some kind of normal by next summer then? No. No. <laughs> I think the, the delays in distribution and manufacturing make it such that we won't get penetration of the vaccine um, to have normalcy for at least another year, if not more. All right. On that note, well, thank you for the time, uh, doctor. Informative as always. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Dr. Raywad Dionandan at the University of Ottawa. And that's the Jeff MacArthur podcast for this Tuesday, September the 15th. Thanks for downloading and thanks for listening. Just a reminder, you can listen live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 on 640 Toronto at 640toronto.com or just search my name, Jeff MacArthur, on Spotify or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.